Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. This episode of Dubai Works is sponsored by Step Conference 2023, the leading tech festival for emerging markets. The highly anticipated event will be returning to Dubai Internet City for its 11th edition on February 22nd and February 23rd with a new retro-futuristic approach and experiences including one-on-one investor meetings, pitch competitions, workshops, keynotes, panels, debates and so much more. Grab your tickets on www.dubai.stepconference.com. Dubai is busy as always. It's mid-Feb. You, there's the UAE Cycling Tour. There's the ATP and the WTA Tennis Championships happening. It's full of everything. There's loads going on. There was golf food. There's also Step Conference in its 11th year. And Step Conference is really where Dubai Works meets its people. We're very into the Smashy business and our tech and our startups. We actually launched Smashy at Step Conference in 2019. So it was great to be back for their 11th year. Uh, I really enjoyed the two days there. I bumped into a lot of people who were on the show before, people like Walid Shahabi of Keeper, uh, Anisha Oberoi of Secret Skin, and we had a live interview at the conference, uh, and we're gonna play that interview for you guys now. It's with uh, an automotive company or a mobility company, so enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to a special episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. We're live at Step Conference 2023, and we've got a special guest. Nick Watson is the co-founder at U-Drive. So they're the first car sharing provider in the Middle East that provides, provides car rental by the minute. Welcome, Nick. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks a lot for joining us. So yeah, U-Drive, it's a name we all know. What is it? We are, so what we do is we take any car, we digitize it, we put it on the street, so that anybody with a driver's license can take that car and drive wherever they want and leave it wherever they want, as long as it's legally parked. Wow. So that's what we do. So it's car rental by the minute and by the day. Sounds like it's a really clear description. Sounds like you've told this pitch before. So how did it come about? Uh, we used to run a normal car rental company, you know, that old world approach where you go, you get the key manually and then the person takes you around the car and walks you around. The problem with that model is you can't get lots of customers using the car because you need the physical humans to do the handover. So that model, we used to rent the car by the month and by the week. And, and even we, even the application process wasn't instant. You'd have to do it a few days in advance, you've approvals. Got to, first you've got to find the car. You yeah. have to make lots of phone calls or go on the internet and find a, a car. And then when you choose the car, it's not the car you actually get. This is the traditional industry. And we said, look, there's got to be a better way to do it. So we said, look, the way to make cars more rentable and easier access is to make them digital the cars aren't digital. You might have a digital screen, but the car is still manual lock. It still needs physical keys and stuff like this. So we digitized it by putting an IoT device in the car that allows us to open and close and immobilize, securitize the vehicle. And by doing so, then you can add an app. 
Mm. And once you add the app, then you just need to have a map. And once you have the map, then you just need to see where the cars are. And if you're near a car, you can just book it. You make it sound simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, trust me. It's like you look at it on the front end, you go, oh, that looks nice and easy. In the background, there's a lot of people running around. And yeah. Stuff happen. Wow. And the, the IoT part of it, the, the, the bit in the car, that seems to be the bit, the digitizing the car was the sort of big thing that everyone thing was built yes. around. How did you, how did you build that product? So we're, you know, we're a scale up now, so we're growing very quickly. But when we started the business, the first decision we made was don't invest in anything that's already being done. So we focus on the customer experience, yeah. which was app, 10 seconds booking, get in the car. If you don't need to build the IoT and you can buy it off the shelf, then do so. And so there is IoT out there where you just buy the IoT, you install in the car, you have to build some of the systems to interface with the car, and then you have to build the mobile app and you have to build the experience. But it's like anything you do as a startup, you only invest where you need to invest and you build your proof of concept. Because we ran a car rental company, it was easy because we had all the operational tooling. We just didn't have the digitization and that's what we invested in. So we just bought off the shelf technology. Perfect. We leveraged that for a year or two. We started to learn what worked, what didn't work and then you start customizing. Yeah. So we're at a point now where we can use any IoT technology that's out there. Most cars are becoming digital now anyway. So they come with IoT inside the car. Yeah. And so we just plug directly in with the car. Yeah. So our, our business is not to digitize a car. We have to because we have no choice. Mm. But the idea is the car comes with it installed and we just connect to it. And the U-Drive is a consumer facing app. So someone downloads Correct. the app, uh, it works in all languages, it works in how many markets? Uh, two uh, countries right now, the UAE and Saudi Arabia, we're launching in the GCC and other countries. Okay. Like seven cities. Seven cities. So we're growing pretty quickly, yes. That's amazing, and how many years? Uh, if you count COVID, three or five, <laughs> you don't count COVID, three years we've been operating. That's cool. So <laughs> companies that couldn't do their cars during COVID don't count those years. No, no. <laughs> Honestly, when you get shut down 24 hours a day and you're not operating and then you spend the next 18 months recovering from that shutdown, yeah. it is COVID. But it created a lot of resilience for the business. Yeah. So we, um, we made some very, very radical decisions during COVID that like, helped like what? us. Uh, flipping the business from being a scale at all cost business to focusing on unit economics. And, and we might get into this conversation, but like as a startup, you, the first thing you do is you create a proof of concept. Proof of concept is always founded on get customers using the service, make sure it becomes sticky, make sure they use it. Doesn't matter what it costs you to do it. Once you've got that, then you start to figure out how the unit economic can be adjusted so you can make profit, mm. right? So for us, the whole concept was, can we get users using the car by the minute and by the day? Answer, yes. How do we turn it into profit? We don't care, we're a scale up, we're growing really fast. COVID comes, we're gonna change our attitude a little bit. It's not easy money available to fund the losses. And so we focus on the unit economics and we pivoted from losing money to making money. How do you make a profit? Let's break it down. Do you own the inventory? No, we don't. Okay, so that's then you don't need that big capital intensive part. We don't, we don't take any money we raise and invest it in the cars. Uh, yeah. we, we, we work with partners like Avis, Leaseplan, Massar, all the major leasing companies. We take their asset, which to most people is a liquid. One car, three years with you is a liquid. It's one person to one car. And we fractionalize it down to one minute and one meter. So it sort of makes us a bit of like a fintech, but we're not a fintech, we're, we're mobility, but we fractionalize mobility. Mm. And when we do that, it allows us to let you have it at a convenient rate rather than you having to have it for one year or one month or two years. Mm. 
Amazing. So, and is it working? This, yeah, obviously. And, uh, on the margin side, like? Yes, very much so. Uh, so, where, so what's the pricing and where are the margins? So the margins are, you take a lease, you, we include fuel, we include parking, and we include fully comprehensive insurance, and you pay by the minute. So our margins come on the unit economics. We take that package, mm. and then we make sure that the cost per minute is just greater than the unit Those economics. Yeah. And then the unit economics contribute towards the, the operating gross profit. And then after the indirect costs, you have your corporate costs, right? So yeah. we make profit at all those levels, except we're not profitable on the bottom line yet, but we are very close. Yeah. So all we need to do is just keep growing the fleet. We need more cars to finally get to gross pro main profitability impetus. It's interesting. Like, so you see there's a demand for something and then you create a product market fit yeah. and you understand where a future business model can be, but you still haven't figured out the economics. And now you're figuring you've almost figured that out now. Most startups that are like, innovators they don't they can predict what they think the unit economics might look like yeah but until you get in the market you'll have no clue the cost of acquisition uh how much usage you'll get depends on what your product is and what you're selling yeah if you're a fully 100 digital product then you have very very low cost basis for operating some of those products but yeah. we have physical cars that we put on the road we put those cars on the road we then acquire the customers for the cars so we have like a a period of time between putting the car on the road to it getting full utilization or what we want as utilization. Um, this also creates a barrier of entry for anybody coming into our space mm. because nobody wants to lose money in the beginning. We don't lose money anymore, especially in, in my, um, emerged markets or what we call uh, mature markets. markets, mature markets yeah. Yeah. So the thing is for us, the more cars we put on the road, the more our customers have availability. So yeah. It's like going to a supermarket and you buy milk every day. And then you suddenly show up in three days, there's no more milk left. You stop going to the supermarket. <laughs> That's the problem for you, drive. We have so many customers and not enough cars. Yeah. So we're trying to grow really, really quickly right now. So we're doing about 10% growth a month at the moment. And growth is measured in what way? Uh, number of cars on the road and uh, number of customers and revenue increase. Okay, wow. So, and so the seven cities, talk to me a little bit about that. Do you have to do market entry city by city or is some of this organic? So, do people kind of, yeah. You know, I think, I think in the end, the definition of mobility for our industry, it's all organic. It's that how forced do you want to grow? So for example, if you go into a city like Riyadh, which has seven and a half million population, you can put 200 cars on the road and not make a dent in the need for mobility. And then you can add a thousand cars and you not make a dent. You make a small dent, but not a big dent. Then you can add 10,000 10, cars. You're really becoming substantial in that market. Uh, so for us, Everything's organic because we're taking the exact product we built in the UAE and we're transporting it to each new country and each new city, but we're doing it in different ways. We might do it by the minute, we might do it by the day, we might do it by the uh, week or whatever. Now, we don't do it at the moment, but we just do daily and per minute. Yeah. And so organic for us is taking the exact product, just putting it there and then expanding slowly over time. Okay. And you know, going back to sort of, say, your background and the company you were doing before, how did that transition look like from the rental company? Did you just change the name? Uh, so yeah, we actually the name was changed because it was Amex Rent-A-Car and we changed to U-Drive because we wanted to be so obvious what we are that the name told the story. And yeah, it, it sounds like oh, other people have used it, but it's U-Drive. You are driving for now until yeah. the cars drive themselves. <laughs> but the reality is our tagline is U-Drive, we take care of the rest. Mm. So. You go on the app, you book it, you get in the car, you don't need to fuel it, it's already fueled. If you go to the gas station, you stop, the car refuels, it's on us, you just drive off, we give you free money 
for filling the car. Mm. We pay you to fill the car. In what way? We give you free credits on your account. Oh, wow. Well. And it's not for so the you... next trip, it's for that trip. Yeah, because you need someone to fill your car, so this is the way you incentivize it. And the main reason was, apart from the cars being fueled all the time, we don't know how long you can drive for. You might drive for one minute, you might drive for two days. Mm. So you're going to run out of fuel. And we don't want the experience for you to be, get your credit card out, pay, then try to recover the funding from us. We just put VIP chips on all the cars. Mm. And then when you park the car, if you're a tourist or a resident and you don't know the infrastructure for parking, the car pays for parking itself. Okay. It's all automated. Wow. And who uses you drive? Uh, middle to lower income is our core audience, tourists, and uh, what we call transients, which are People are not here long enough to want to buy a car or lease a car, or they don't want a car all the time, which is a lot of people nowadays because work from home and stuff like this. So, yeah. uh, we, you know, we, we, we obviously we have some wealthy people using the services, backup cars for their families and stuff, but majority of the audience is your average normal worker that, like us that are in yeah. the market that need an extra car for the weekend or need a bigger car for the weekend. 85% uh, of our usage is residents. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so we have a problem. We have customers fighting over the cars because <laughs> the, the tourists don't get up early enough in the morning yeah. to get the cars from the the, the residents. Okay. <laughs> so anybody uses them for work and stuff. Yeah, that's interesting about the different behavior in a, in a tourist yeah. city, you know. We try to put the cars near the hotels, but there's not a hotel that I know in Dubai that isn't close to a residential district. Yeah. So you just have people walking across the street. Okay. We have this issue in the Greens and TCOM, for example. Um, they're all... People are walking from TCOM over into the Greens yeah. to take the cars from the people in the Greens. Okay, <laughs> really? Yeah. So, they, so yeah, so when they get up in the morning, they look where on the map where the car is and they walk to it. Yes. Uh, and you say place the cars. At some point, do you have a team who goes out and moves them back? Yeah, we have. So we have we have um, we have we have uh, two types of teams. We have a, a fleet team which clean the cars, rebalance, refuel them, move the cars whenever needed. And then we have an emergency response team where if the car breaks down, we come to you within 15 minutes. Nobody knows this. We don't try to sell it because we don't want it to oversell, but we will bring in a replacement car straight away to your car. Mm. You'll get in that car, you'll drive off and we'll take the broken down car away. Okay. And if you get into an accident, we're there with you and the police. Mm. We even call the police for you on money car. That's really good. Yeah, so like literally you drive, we take care of the rest. It's a good tagline. That's actually reassuring because no one, the accident part, obviously we don't want anyone to get hurt, but one of the painful parts of accidents is that little bump of having to yes. deal with all the admin and am I insured? Who do I call? What are the police going to do to me? Yeah. <laughs> sort of stuff in terms of black points and all that. But yeah, so you take care of the rest. So and also Nick, so in terms of product and what you drive does, uh, you know, what inventory, like, is the cars that are on the app, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, do you see, uh, are people p wanting the cool car? Are, are people <laughs> wanting the different model or is it more utility based? Uh, you have, you literally said it, it's, you have two types of audience. You have, we don't care as long as it has wheels and air conditioning. Okay. That's a majority of the camp. Yeah. And then you have the uh, experiential one. So we have Nissan Sunnies. Like the test drive people are, are just want to, Date night okay. is the best way to explain it. Uh, arm out the window, I'm a male driving in a Mustang. That type of scenario is the experience. But it's branded you drive. Do they still do it? So so we have um, so we have the utility and we have the experiential cars. Yeah. You have small logos on the car. We have two types of car in Dubai. One is the one that comes under the RTA, and then one is that doesn't come under the RTA. So our daily rentals, 
are all no logos on the side of the car. It's 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 clean. You wouldn't yeah. know that it was a U-Drive car, other than a small sticker on the window or the bumper. Okay. Uh, the per minute cars, the ones you rent by the minute in Dubai, we're required to put the U-Drive lo logo big on the door and the RTA logo on the door. Uh, and that's for 200 cars. So we have 200 cars out of the 700 we have in Dubai uh, are on per minute. The rest are daily. Most usage on the daily cars. Interesting. Per minute. So yeah. daily or the non-branded, there's the most of your cars. And I was going to ask about product. They're, they're the kind of two offerings that you have in market? Yes, yeah, so across both those fleet, per minute and daily. So we have Mustangs on the per minute fleet. We have Dodge Chargers on the daily fleet. Okay. We have Pajeros, we have Teslas. We have these new super cute cars that we will have another conversation about coming <laughs> that are a little bit specific for certain audiences. Okay. Um, we have a bunch of, uh, a lot of cool stuff coming online. We're, oh, we have quite a few key investors in U-Drive that are economic drivers to Dubai and yeah. the UAE. Um, one being the Dubai government directly themselves. And so we're launching a bunch of fleets that are servicing audiences like entrepreneurs and SMEs very shortly. Interesting. So that's going to become quite exciting too. Cool. So there's, a, there's innovation, there's still product launches and things like that. You know, you kind of touched on a few things yeah. in, in those last few answers about um, regulation. How has that worked and how, how have you navigated it and where are we today? Okay. Um, so car sharing, if you, if you look at the core of it, is basically car rental. But it's it's sort of like what Airbnb did, where it digitized your own apartment. Yeah, uh, we're not allowed to take your car and digitize it and rent it to someone else because you're you're not a rent car agency. So you you are not allowed to generate income on your car. You're allowed to generate income on your property, but not on a car. For now, the regulation doesn't allow in the UAE. In Saudi, you can. So the the business of UDrive at the moment is to take your existing asset, uh, our existing assets and assets other people own that have the ability to generate income and digitize it. Uh, for us at the moment, we're prioritizing leasing companies who have the, the rights to do that. And we're focusing on meeting the, the legal requirements of the regulators in this country. So for example, in Dubai, you're not, rental car companies are not allowed to rent the car more than one time per day. Basically we call daily rental. Okay. If you do less than daily rental, let's say you want to rent it five times in a day, you need to have a special license, which you drive and e-car have, which allows us to rent as many times as we want, basically, where they call it hourly car sharing. Yeah. So we can rent the car 10 times a day, five times, or one day, whatever we want. So under that, we work with the regulator to have 200 cars each that allow us to rent by the minute. And then we have the cars that are daily rental. Yeah. So each country has their own rules. Each country has their own approach. In all the markets we operate right now, we are considered a rental car company. In the Dubai, we specifically are a rental car company as a special license to operate multiple rentals per car per day. Yeah. On the per minute license. Okay. So our future approach to regulating uh, regulators is work within the boundaries. We yeah. learned the lesson in 2016 when we launched originally that you shouldn't go up against the regulator too quickly yeah. um, and you should work with them as much as possible, which we have done and we created a really nice ecosystem from doing so. And, and yeah, with that experience, you know, in each market, you can be a little bit flexible with what you enter with. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> you can either break the rules and then pay the price yeah. or you can play in the rules and then work with them to adjust the rules accordingly. Um, we've had our... We've had our uh, time in the sun with uh, breaking rules and like trying to make you know innovate as much as possible, uh, and we're very comfortable in the position we're in now. And so, uh, so, so this model in other markets, you know, uh, might have been for 
someone who could uh, let someone, like Airbnb, someone could let someone use their car. Yes. Has that happened here? So you can let anybody use your car as long as they don't pay you for it. So that's allowed. You, dr you drive your friends around, they can use your car as long as they're allowed to drive and stuff. Um, but why can't I do that with the Udrive app or can I? You can't because the regulation doesn't allow it. Yeah. So the regulation it, says it, I mean, that paid. individuals yeah. are not allowed to generate an income. I mean, I don't know the full details, but you're not allowed to make money from your own car. There's a couple of reasons for it. One, um, you're, you need an economic license to generate income. revenue yeah. from an asset. Yeah. So apartments is sort of like an allowed thing um, and a security thing. So all the cars in the UAE that are on rental and leasing are having digital, digital devices in the car for security mechanisms. Mm. But even, even the property, that's regulated because they know who the tenant is. Correct. But the, with Airbnb, there's an extra license you need to get Correct. for that. And that, that, again, is for economic reasons and for yeah. uh, security reasons yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of it is, and I guess that's why it, it's so safe. I'm not just using pollen, you know, uh, compliments or whatever, but, it, you know, you understand some yes. things after a while. But so, so do, you, do you envisage, like, because a lot of the pitch for the kind of Airbnb model is, incremental is sharing economy is incremental revenue yeah. you know in this region people obviously don't use their cars 365 right they travel they spend yeah. summers in different places uh you know do you think that I, that we will be able to put our cars with the regulation change i think i think it'll eventually come I, I think in this market right now you have two things you need to look at one regulation and two mindset so the reality is a lot of people while they get excited about the idea of making money on their car, uh, convenience trumps yeah. money. So if you want to rent your car out to someone else and you're using it in the peak hours, well, who's gonna use it in the non-peak hours? Yeah. Probably nobody. Yeah. So then you're not gonna generate any income. Yeah. So then it's gonna be a failed attempt for you to generate income. Yeah. If you do wanna make money out of the car, then you have to give up your own mobility. Mm. And this is a second car. So the question becomes, well, hang on, how am I going to get to work if I rent it out to someone else? And so for us, we're like, look, uh, customers are not ready in this market to rent their own cars out. I think they, there will be a couple that would, but I don't think it's a highly scalable business right now. Mm. For us to get a thousand cars, I can go to three suppliers and get 300 cars each. I don't want to worry about convincing a thousand people to give up a one car each. Mm. It's it's a lot of work. And it doesn't mean we don't believe in that space. We, we really believe in the, the you know democratizing income on your own assets mm. but the reality is that it's it's a lot of work to convince a thousand people to give us a thousand cars yeah and then the the things that happen to a car when it becomes a rental car are different than when you're a normal user mm. so it's sometimes better just to do on a long-term basis you rent your car out for one month but that leaves the problem how are you going to be mobile yeah right and if you're gone during the summer that's great when someone else so everybody else is gone during the summer as <laughs> yeah, well. yeah so like then is yeah, the marketplace yeah. going to be viable for you to generate income? But is that working in other markets? In it the works US? in other markets, but then you don't have huge volumes of influx of people moving in and out of the yeah. country, right? Okay. And also in the other markets, a lot of the people um, that are going on the, the, the P2P platforms, they're not yeah. necessarily using their car. They're buying a separate car just for this purpose. Mm, okay. That leads to the problem of you're buying a separate car to generate income on it, mm. but you're not allowed to generate income on a car. Yeah. So the regulation stops you from doing so. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, I get it. So uh, you talked about learning the unit economics of your business. Yes. How did that change in the valuations of the company and investments appetite for this type of business over the years, especially with COVID? Did you, you know, what stage are you at now, and how has that evolved? 
Yeah, so um, we were self-funded up until COVID, literally. Uh, we, oh, had, wow. we had to deal with COVID and then we raised money during COVID. Uh, well, let's call it survival capital. <laughs> <laughs> and then we raised more money, which let's call it a, a growing capital. And then we did our Series A, which was uh, closed in 2021, which yeah. involved, uh, we have a couple of unicorn founders in Udrive from big unicorns in the region. Yeah. Um, we have the Dubai government, we have two automotive families and we have a pension fund. Okay. So we don't have nice any VCs. Mix. Yeah. Wow. So there's not many startups that have this story. Yeah. We're a bit disappointed we don't have a VC, but I think you know in the end, when we went to get the money from the VCs, the market was so poor during COVID that it was very hard for anybody to deploy any capital. Yeah. So it's fine, it is what it is. We found money in the private market, especially among automotive groups, yeah. who their businesses had stopped as well. Yeah. And they could just see our business turn back online within a day after COVID, you know, after the 24 hour sanitization. Yeah. We came back online and our business came flying straight back. Mm. And their business was still, Flatline, mm. so they could see that there's a lot of resilience in the opportunity. Um, but what what changed the let's say the the perception towards the brand, at least from an investor point, was losing money on every trip and then making money on every trip, and then that money contributing to your operation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, mindset had changed on the investors. They were willing to fund anything that was yeah. losing money as long yeah. as it had growth. Yeah. But as soon as COVID came and you know their their assets become valued less and nobody knew if the world was gonna come back to life or anything, everybody's like very careful about where they're gonna deploy their capital. Mm. So all we did was we refocused on the unit economics and we switched the audience of cars that we wanted on the platform. So we removed all our BMWs, all our Mercedes, not because we don't love the car, but because we didn't know if people would pay for it post COVID. Mm. And it just happens that when we came back alive, we had all economic vehicles. Yeah, the right. And that's what everybody wanted, and that's what was in demand, and that's what helped us. And how's the? That was twenty twenty one. How is the regional VC market? It, how is it today? I, I think the VC market here obviously had a, a nice upward trajectory during twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two, and then the capital markets have reduced a little bit, so the market's a bit subdued. Um, we don't fit into your standard mold because while we might have like a fintech angle, which is we take any asset. We digitize it and we let you have it by the minute. We're not, we're mobility. Yeah. Mobility is uh, an infrastructure play. Yeah. So it's like a, it's, it's a, it's a big barrier of entry for new entrants, which is good for us. Yeah. It gives us a very big moat because even the incumbents are not in our space. Uh, but the reality is the hot topic is FinTech and SaaS. And so as we don't fit 100% in that mall, we're not going to get the VCs. Mm. Um, we're going to get the family groups who really understand infrastructure plays like yeah. a mobility company or a rental car company. Yeah that has a very good margin and uh, route to profitability. That's interesting, you call it a hot, hot areas. While there may be hot areas, isn't it a sign that there still is room for maturity and depth in, in yeah, sure. venture capital? Because you know, in, in maturing uh, VC markets in the US, there might be hot topics, yeah. but there's still uh, funds for all the different sectors. 100%. And here we don't have it. Like we're in media and there aren't any funds for media. But we, <laughs> we, can have a, we can have a few drinks over this conversation <laughs> later. Like well, yeah. the reality is in the Middle East, you have um, a maturing VC ecosystem, which is awesome, right? Um, you have seed or series, you have pre-seed, you have seed, and series A. So let's say it's that big. And then the series B is that big. Mm. So you have, like literally a couple of players in series B, B, C, and those couple of players are normally aligned to fintechs, SaaS, like very 
high-level software type companies mm. where there isn't much physical component, right? Yeah. Because they can see spin up and spin down and you know and whatever, right? Problem is that's very, there's a barrier. There's easier barrier. There's no barriers to entry into some of those spaces other than regulation in fintech. Yeah. Um, there's no physical barrier. It's like a software barrier. Okay. Um, so. In this, in the Middle East, we have a very limited Series B, C, D, and E space. So in the West, you have a very mature, even in, in Asia as well, A, B, C, D, E okay. venture space. So once you get to Series A, you already know where your B and your C is coming from. As long as you hit your KPIs, you hit your targets, and you're, you're a good founder, and you, you operate with ethical boundaries, you're gonna get the money mm. to carry that trajectory. Yeah. As in this region, once you hit Series A, whether or what I like to hear it or not, Unless you're in the hot topic, you're not gonna you're not gonna capture the capital as yeah. easy as you would like. And there's also a limited pool of Series B and Series C. Okay. It doesn't mean there isn't money. It means it's sitting in the private market, and the private market is made up of traditional businesses uh, that are in mobility or in manufacturing or in real estate. And so for them to understand what you're trying to break in an industry, like create a new form of industry, yeah. it's harder for them. But they're becoming way more excited now, which is great because technology is taking a front front face to. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that's fascinating about the VC landscape and the stages that they're at. It kind of explains what you're talking about, Nick. That we've had different exits in this region, and this explains why it's not that the uh, you know the IPO markets isn't there. It's actually that the journey to it isn't there. Correct. And we see different types of acquisitions and different types of exits. And it kind of does depend on what your makeup is at the moment versus yeah. where you can go. But the question I kind of have is around, uh, you know, you're saying about, about what investors are interested in, but one of the trends is the super app idea, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, we've had successful ones, uh, Kareem in the region. Uh, are you ever worried about someone who's got the sort of experience in the consumer offering what you do uh, uh, that becomes the disruptor to what you do? Uh, so I'll, I'll break it into two parts. Am I worried about a big boy coming in and trying to create operations like we do? No, no, because we know what it's like. And it took us a few years to figure out how to operate. So operating on the ground creates a huge barrier to entry to almost every business here in the region. Uh, you have to be mentally willing to do it. And once you get past that, then yes, you can you can create scale, which is what we're doing. And then you have um, the, the, the marketplaces um, offering other product that might compete with us and or newer innovative products better than what we offer. Well, this is how good this is down to how good we are as a company, not not uh, not just operations, but how much do we innovate our product? So if I if somebody else comes in and offers a better product than we do, we deserve to be wiped out. But the whole idea is not to be wiped out, it's to keep innovating and building our better product. So this yeah. is what we're doing. But we also know our place in the region. We're not going to go and try and become a mega super app by Kareem because our core focus is mobility. Our core focus is letting you move your body from one place to another or move goods from one place to another, whatever that is. But you're the one controlling the actions of the vehicle, mm. right? They so, kind of do that too, a bit. The super, yeah, but they, the they do it in the car, they do it in bicycles yeah. and uh, any other like mobility form. Um, they don't do it in cars. They yeah. have obviously have a marketplace, so they have other companies on that marketplace that offer long-term rental. 
But when you go from long-term rental down to one-minute rental, you, can't, you, you move from being an aggregator, which yeah. is basically just a marketplace, to an operator. Yeah. There is a huge difference between Kareem doing um, uh, Toyota Lexuses and stuff like this to drive you around, limousine service, to Kareem bikes where they have to rebalance the bikes and do all that. It's operational, right? Yeah. And so when you become an operational business, there is a barrier to entry, right? If you're just a marketplace, the barrier to entry technically is your business partnerships and your ability to make a really good website that has good SEO and it can attract free eyeballs. Yeah. Or you're just awesome at paid advertising. Marketplaces are competing at this level. We don't compete. We don't do any paid advertising in the UAE. It's a good way of we thinking about it. We have over 12 to 13,000 customers registering every month and it's all free. Yeah. Because it's a viral product. When you can rent a car in 10 seconds and you can drive wherever you want, the customers talk for themselves. Mm. All we need to do is make sure the cars are in the right place, they're clean, they're safe, and then it takes care of itself. Uh, and uh, do you have a COO to do all that? Or have yeah, you... we, yeah, we have. We have so do you see yourself as an operation? Founders, founders yeah. only. Yeah. Now we have a fully stacked team. We have a head of operations, we have a head of marketing, we have a head of product, head of uh, development. So we have everything now. We're, we're, we're becoming a real company. A head of marketing who can't spend any money. Do they like their job? Oh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> they, they, they are, when they say, I want to spend money in the UAE, we're like, you don't need to. We're already giving the customers. Yeah. Focus on um, new markets. Yeah. So prioritizing where we target the customers. The one thing about our product is you only market where the cars are. You don't need to market overall because there's no point in attracting a customer who's 10 kilometers away from a car. I'm not gonna take a 10 kilometer trip to rent a car yeah. for a 10 minute journey or a half hour or an hour journey. So this is this is good for us because we can actually focus our energy only where the cars are. Okay, so we talked a little bit about GCC and I usually leave this for the end, but you know, if you're entering into say North Africa or other places in the region yeah. that the economics are different, uh, how do you view those opportunities? Uh, Anywhere you have cars, you can operate. Okay. Anywhere you have car rental, you can operate. Anywhere you have leasing, you can operate. So it doesn't matter what market we go into. Which business model we use in that market is what dictates the growth or the, the, the approach into the market. So um, in Dubai, the largest volume of trips right now for us, or even in the UAE, is daily rental. Because it's so much cheaper to rent a car for the day on the street and drive it yourself if you have a license than it is to take a taxi. So if you go from Marina to Deira, for example, and back in a U-Drive, it will cost you 100 dirhams. Okay. And you have the car for the day. So you can go to the supermarket and you, you have loads of flexibility. If you did it in a taxi, it would be 150, 160 dirhams. Yeah. And an Uber would be even more, more yeah. price. So yeah, definitely it makes sense for someone looking at those prices. Like you said, yeah. the category of people that use your app. Um, in terms of the partnerships that you have, how are they evolving? Like you know, the incumbents, car owners, yeah. and, uh, you know, how are they innovating? How are they working with partners like you drive? I, I think the key to looking at uh, the mobility space is on the self-drive, where you drive the car yourself. You have the traditional industry, incumbents, and then you have new forms of mobility. Um, we're very fortunate that uh, we're not trying to destroy any incumbents. We're not like, I mean, FinTech say it, we're gonna kill banks, right? We're not trying to kill these people because they own the assets. So we want them to own the assets and we want to use them. And for them, that's revenue because they get guaranteed fixed income from us. And then we sub-rent it to customers by the minute in the day, right? So for us, they're, they're part of our ecosystem. You've got the guys who buy the asset, you've got the people who sell the asset, and you've got us right in the middle. Mm. And we depreciate the asset by generating margins on it. So the key for us is to make the experience so easy 
that anybody can rent it. And then when anybody can rent it, we're targeting the audience that they don't target. Your middle to lower income. They have 100 dirhams to rent a car. They don't have 1,100 dirhams, which is what you'd have to pay as a deposit in the traditional industry. Yeah. And then your 100 dirhams. And you get your 1,000 dirhams back in a week, two weeks. Depends on when the fine mm. systems work and stuff. We don't take deposits. Mm. So you're paying for your trip, that's it. You, if you pay to go in the supermarket every time you want to buy milk and then you found there's no car there, you'd be annoyed at all the money you're wasting. We just don't want to make any friction. So mm. you don't have any. You don't take pictures of the car if there's any damage. Mm. You don't have to report damage. But you, but you still, so you have partners in terms of companies that then you their fleet and and then you also you mentioned that your investors are people who have car dealerships. Yes. So they understand that you're a complement to their business. We, well, look, in the end, we're not trying to destroy any industry. We're trying to fit into a space where people in the middle to lower income, they don't get mobility. Mm. Their only form of mobility that they can afford right now. We're not talking about people living on the street. We're talking about look, just your, your average person um, who generates 10, 15,000 dirhams, nobody, and your, your millennials, nobody wants to own anything anymore. They want to use it, get out, use it, get out. And so you can't then buy a car. You don't might not get the financing for it. You might not want to own it. You don't want the responsibility of the maintenance and all that other stuff. And you only need a car three times a week. Yeah. Right? You might go to the office three times a week and the rest of the time you're not moving anywhere. Nick, do you think, do you view competition as, I remember Reed Hastings once said that Netflix competition is sleep. In other words, it's not necessarily, everyone says how many subscriptions do they yeah. have versus what people like to compare them with yeah. in other similar offerings. But is it often human behavior, right? Like, is your competition people's propensity to behave in the way that they don't need to buy a car anymore? Yeah, look, we're, we're, so we're taught, our first audience is the people who cannot afford yeah. to buy a car. That's the, that's the base level. Then you've got the people who can afford but don't want to because they're using a car for an hour and a half a day. It'll be wasted usage and they're paying for that privilege of basically disposable income. And then you have the people that our mindset is, I don't want to own anything anymore. So you've got the people who financially can't afford to buy a car, people who financially don't want to put deposits down. You've got people then who can afford all of that, but they're like, it's a waste of money. And obviously the millennials are moving very, very fast into the don't own anything, just use it. And the world is moving from CapEx to OpEx, mm. right? So if you look in America, leasing is growing rapidly there, not ownership. Because people want to be able to hand it back whenever they want or trade it in for another option and stuff yeah. like this. So the world is moving from owning what we call, as we talk about retasting, the Netflix effect. Mm. Netflixing your girlfriends, your boyfriends, you're Netflixing your cars, you're Netflixing your travel time. You're doing you're just you're just on demand, choosing whatever you want for that time of day. Okay. And so that's that's great for us because we're already over here where you can use the car by the minute. Yeah. If you want, or by the day, whatever you want. We don't even really want to move into the subscription business of one month rentals for one simple reason. That asset, while it is rented out for a month by us, is wastage. That car is going to get 22 hours of usage, uh, 22 hours of, of wasted time and one or two hours of usage. It seems like there's demand for it though. There is demand for it, but there's, there's more demand. We did 38,000 rentals yeah. in January for okay. 850 cars. Okay. So that, and remember, a large That's portion. That's huge amounts of both. We, so, we probably are, by number of rentals, the largest car rental company in the Middle East. How, how, do you have a ratio? Do you say 800 into 30? Yeah, so basically, what you do is you take your per minute cars and you take your daily car. The daily car can be rented one time per day. Yeah. 
So a one car can be rented 30 times per day. Yeah. And our per minute cars get rented anything between three and five times a day. And the Mustangs get five to seven times a day. Yeah. Well, the, the nice, the experiential cars, right? Yeah. So uh, when you blend all of that, you end up getting 38,000. So we only have 200 per minute cars. Mm. So they're doing three to four rentals a day. Mm. And then the daily cars are doing uh, one rental a day. Okay, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, it makes sense. Uh, so Saudi Arabia, what, so in the rest of the region, 2023, Alhamdulillah, the pandemic's behind us. Is it all upwards now? Uh, it's been upwards since we were not locked in our houses anymore. So the day we came back after COVID, we still had the same, customers were still here, mm. but mobility had completely changed. Mm. Uh, a lot of the mindset was, I don't want to be in the same car as another person. So driving yourself was good. So that was beneficial to us. Mm. Um, we were cleaning the cars all the time anyway. And then over time, people have become very sensitive, especially because if they work from home, to their cars sitting in the basement more. If you're now in one of those companies, which is a large amount where you got half time in the office and half time at home, then your car is wasting more time in the garage. Mm. And so we were selling them. Um, I have I have a, a couple of friends who I thought would never use a service that have basically got rid of their cars because they live in Marina mm. and there's always a U-Drive available in the Marina. So, so, you, so you've definitely seen people who are selling their cars and, and even if, you know, yes, the, 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 what's the word, low affluency or whatever, that uh, people who could afford a car are yeah. using U-Drive every day or when they need it. Yeah, so like in the end, I can't tell you which Do you use the U-Drive? I do use U-Drive, but I try not to because the area I'm into is a peak area. Okay. So <laughs> if, I, if I use the car- Your company makes more money if you pay more. <laughs> the customers are using it. Okay. And so the problem is when you, you have to think it from, think it from my, my altruistic, you know, visionary person. If I use that car, one of my customers can't use it. Yeah. So then I have a customer who goes use another customer, another service, yeah. whether it's e-car or Kareem, whatever. So I want them using my service. Yeah. So I'd rather take the hit on using something else than taking my customer off the platform. Mm. And we have a very high utilization from individual customers, very good li lifetime value yeah. and uh, multiple usage. By so, the so talking about the, the peak areas and things like that, yeah. you know, I had a question here from before, the role of technology in promoting a circular economy in urban yes. areas. Like how do you, how do you view that? Uh, so look, look in, the, in the end, you have people living in one area that need to go to another area. Um, we, we're not allowed freelancers yet in this region, or at least in the UAE. So we hire all our team to clean the cars, but we would hire people in that community yeah. to clean, move the cars and fuel them. But as we're not allowed to just hire you, say, hey, go fuel this car 50 dirhams. You would go do it, mm. right? It's better than me hiring a dude that drives around and does all that. But we're not allowed to do that yet, but we do want to get to, uh, this is the circular economy side. We want to get to a point where communities are fulfilling the needs of the cars themselves so we don't have to have those resources internally but then we achieve our end goal which is cleanliness and refueling more on demand and you can have access to the vehicle whenever you want and use it however you want um, and then when it comes to the industry economy you have the people who buy the asset the people who use the asset and then the people who dispose of the asset so we sit right in the middle we want the asset owner, which at the moment is only leasing and rental car companies, to have someone that can pay them the money for it, depreciate the asset as quickly as possible, 
and then put it into disposal, which normally means putting it into a new life, mm. exporting it to a new market or another market that doesn't want to buy the premium price, they want to buy the residual price, like yeah. Africa and um, Middle Eastern markets, like okay. Iraq and stuff. Okay, last question, Nick. Uh, if you could choose a region to be in in the world, an emerging market, where would it be? We're right in it right now. So, so great. <laughs> yeah, the, the bottom line is this market has um, a very exciting upward trend, faster than almost any Western market. Uh, it, it has a lot of digitization coming online. You have Saudi, which is absolutely just going amazing at the moment. And so, and then you have people who are already here and then you just have the influx of people coming. And this influx is an awesome market because they are, you know, temporarily they're tourists, but eventually they become residents. And it's not like 20 years ago, people were like here for one or two years. No, it's changed. People aren't leaving, huh? yeah. they're coming here and they're staying yeah or they're going away and going i might actually come back yeah and then they do and they don't leave like me i'm here 20 years <laughs> i'm gonna say i was very loyal from the very beginning <laughs> and like everybody else who's coming in now are like you know the fresh yeah. the fresh ones so yeah. it was a pleasure talking to you this Great. morning live at step conference thanks very much for telling us more about you drive thank you for having me thanks Great a lot to you. cheers That was really interesting. Uh, I definitely learned a lot more about that type of business, especially in the region and how it works. So thank you to Nick for sharing those thoughts. And really, it was a pleasure being partner with SEP Conference again this year. Thank you uh, for the partnership that we have with them uh, and for their sponsorship of the show. If you would like to sponsor the show, please do get in touch at hello at smashy.tv. We have a number of packages available and there's a really niche audience listening to this podcast. It's all founders, startups, uh, people who have set up or looking to set up their businesses in Dubai. It gets between 800 and 1,000 listens every week, uh, but there's a lot more reach on the Love in Dubai article, videos, and, uh, and social media reach as well. Uh, thank you, as always, to everyone behind the scenes who helped put this show together. Uh, Ali K and Ali B in the studio editing, remixing, audio, music, video, everything. And Shahir, our producer, who was running around Step Conference so much on the first day that he got sick, uh, but he was getting together so many different vid videos and interviews. So thank you to Shahir for that. And thank you again to Step Conference. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode.